You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. And welcome to Spookulative Evolution. Hello, David. Hello. Hello, Will. Will. Hello, Will. <laughs> and hello, listeners. Hi, everybody. <laughs> welcome to episode three of Spooky 2019. <laughs> this episode, we're visiting another creature of greek myth probably one of the most famous yeah probably the first one that i would name yes like this is this is definitely one of the biggest names not only because of marvel comics but also just because this (laughs) monster is notable it was in hercules yes it was in hercules it was the only one they really gave a big fight scene to and it is the hydra oh boy yeah so we're going to talk a little bit about the hydra but once again a reminder for anyone if this happens to be your first time ever the whole point of spooky, speculative evolution is that we're going to take a look at these creatures, the Hydra this time, and see how could a creature resembling this, like this, or with this thing's abilities, or all three, be evolved in the natural process. Just through the natural mechanics of evolution, could we arrive at something similar to this? And what biological features can give us answers for its monster abilities this is just meant to be fun nothing definitive about hydras so with that out of the way we can jump into it and talk a little bit about the hydra let's learn about the background yeah so unlike the secret nazi organization in marvel Mm -hmm. which uses a skull with octopus tentacles which makes no sense no sense uh, I guess it's kind of like the animal, the Hydra. It's it's kind of that way. And octopus do regrow their arms, which I yeah. guess. But the original Hydra in the stories was the multi-headed serpent monster that actually only features in one story. Oh. Um, so this was not a monster that popped up all over the place. like some of Like the harpies, which just popped up here and there. And were known in multiple uses. The Hydra has one specific story, and there is one Hydra. That ah. is the Hydra, not Hydras. And specifically, it is the Lernaean Hydra, which lives in the lake of Lerna in Argolid, which is in eastern Greece. Oh, so it's got a play. It's like the Loch Ness monster. Exactly. This is <laughs> very much like that. It has a place where it sits and guards. And people have redone their version of the Hydra over the years, of course, in modern retellings. Uh, But this was the Hydra, and it was one of a kind. And the Lake of Lerna was also, in some stories, said to be the entrance to the underworld. So it was (laughs) an evil creature. So the features this creature typically has is it is serpentine. Sometimes things will give it legs. But usually in most of the old stories, it's basically a giant snake. And where you would get to the head, the body splits into many necks. The exact number of heads is not ever, like, super specified. Uh, Like, I've heard seven heads. I've heard just numerous heads. Interesting. Sometimes it starts with fewer and then gets more down the road. Uh, But originally it couldn't regrow. The heads, oh, which is one of the famous features of it. Just a multi-headed... Multi-headed monster. snake, exactly. Ah. Uh, but 
later on in in new retellings of the Hydra story, the heads were regenerative, and if you chopped one off, either it would regrow or two more would regrow. Yes, where one was left, and that's the famous you know version of the Hydra is you know for each head uh, you take two more will rise in its place. That's the motto of the Hydra agency in Marvel. Yes. It's also, they showed that in Disney's Hercules. Mm-hmm. It's what D&D uses for yep. its Hydras. It's yep. it's become the very popular thing. And it was there in the old stories, but in like the earliest ones, it just had a bunch of heads. It's also supposed to be extremely toxic. Its breath is poisonous. Its Ooh. blood is poisonous, Ooh. and it's said to be so virulent that even its scent is deadly. <laughs> <laughs> so if you get a whiff of it. That's, it, that's how bad it smells. Just pure evil and nastiness. It's, and this has, uh, there's a lot of ancient creatures and old stories that have this sort of feature, uh, and I'm sure we'll get to these creatures later on, but I'm going to use one as an example. The basilisk is often mm-hmm. said, you know, famously, it kills with a gaze but it was also venomous and its blood was poisonous and its breath was a miasma so like if you were in the presence of this creature death was assured is kind of the point right is don't get near it it has an area effect yeah no mere mortal could kill a creature like this yeah and sure enough in the story no mere mortal does no no so this is one of the the rare occasions where we have the story like it's been retold there's been different versions and it's slightly different every time someone retells it, because that's how stories work. <laughs> but there is a Hydra story. And part of the reason the Hydra is so ridiculously famous isn't just that it's a a, a well-designed creature. Like, that's a very evocative... Cool. Yeah. It's memorable. Exactly. It, it, you, the, uh, the PR team knocked it out of the park <laughs> with this one. But the hero who kills it is Hercules. Who's kind of famous. That's, that's the Greek hero... <laughs> That we all remember. So, bit of background. Hercules, the stories of Hercules are many. But Mm -hmm. the famous ones are the ten labors of Hercules. Yes. So, Hercules is the son of Zeus and a mortal woman. Hera, the wife of Zeus, hates that Zeus is so... uh, 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 Promiscuous. Promiscuous (laughs) and unfaithful. But she can't punish the king of gods, so she punishes his mistresses or his offspring. Right. He, she punishes Hercules in a really horrific way by striking him with a bout of madness so that he slaughters his wife and family. Oh, goodness. And when he comes out of the madness and realizes what he's done, he must repent. Even though she cursed him with it, he still murdered his family. Right. And so he is set to complete ten great unachievable tasks. And there are all sorts of things. Lots of them are killing certain monsters or... Uh, uh, achieving feats of strength one of them is cleaning this one king's ridiculously huge stables that have never (laughs) been cleaned and so it's just scooping a bunch of horse poop if you remember disney's hercules Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure the 10 trials are hinted at in the montage uh during zero to hero yeah a couple of the monsters he kills the big lion he kills that's where he gets his lion cowl his his scar cowl yeah that he always is shown in the art wearing is it's the lion of something something i can't remember which lion it is yeah uh, but this is one of the ones he has to kill. His second labor is to slay the Hydra. Okay. And so, so this is... Something quick and easy. Yeah. This The Hydra is one of the top ten. I mean, that's this is a big deal monster in Greek <laughs> myth. It is literally something so great, only Hercules could have done it, is kind of the whole point of the story. So the king of Tyrans sent Hercules to kill the Hydra. He gets to the lake, 
sees the Hydra. He covers his nose and mouth with cloth to survive the poisonous air and begins to fight the Hydra and easily cuts off one of the heads and then realizes that it will grow back. He, you know, he chops off multiple heads, does nothing. So his nephew comes in to help and they come up with a plan. His nephew, in some versions of the story, is the one who comes up with the plan of cauterizing the necks. Oh, so they can't grow back. Yes, so they, they team up and Hercules will go in, chop the heads off, and then Iolus comes in and cauterizes the necks with a torch, dodging and round. And, the, and so, I mean, it's a cool fight scene of them chopping and then him burning the stump of the neck before it can regrow. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, the last Hydra head is remains the main head, which in some versions of the story is immortal. Oh. Uh, the true head of the Hydra cannot be killed. And Hercules is able to chop it off with a magic golden sword given to him to the, by the goddess Athena, of course. Naturally. And he places it under a big rock. Like you do. And it's still alive, but now it's a severed head trapped under a rock. <laughs> is basically the way the story ends. There's also versions of the story where Hera sees that Hercules is killing one of her monsters, because this is supposed to be one she made. And she sends... I love this one. She sends uh, a giant crab to aid the Hydra. Oh, I've heard about this giant crab. Who, in the stories it is stated, Hercules defeats with his mighty foot. He stomps on the crab. Yep. And crushes them. (laughs) For massive damage. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And then she turns both of these monsters into constellations. And so the Hydra constellation and the cancer constellation are supposed to be these two monsters defeated by hercules during his second labor what a like trophy room right yeah like my my wall of victories is the stars it's pretty insane (laughs) yep i killed that i killed that pointing up at the heavens and so that's the the original story and that's basically the entirety of it uh so the hydra does not actually do much other than be intimidating okay and get beaten by one of the biggest heroes the version in disney's hercules which is the one that's in my head yes and this is good i like this again learning the original Mm -hmm. because hercules's version had legs it had legs it started out with one head and then you cut the head off and three more grew in yeah and then it's a big fight scene and then a whole bunch more heads and then he ends up uh probably as homage burying the whole thing under a landslide yes and so there's a lot of versions that have pulled bits of it now probably one of the most recent famous versions of the Hydra that people know other than the Disney one mm-hmm. is another movie. And once again, it's Jason and the Argonauts. Oh yeah. So Jason, and the Argonauts, the whole story is Jason and his Argonauts on the Argo, which is the ship. They start a band. Yep. <laughs> Go to find the golden fleece, which is a right. fleece of a golden ram that brings health and prosperity and cures disease to any kingdom that holds it. And they're sent out to get it by uh, by a, a king that's wanting to do away with Jason. Right, because right, Because right. he, he has been told that Jason will be his downfall. So to thwart future perceptions, he decides to kill him because that always works. And when they finally get to the Golden Fleece, in this version, the Hydra is the guardian of the fleece. Okay. And this design is the same. It's a really cool designed Hydra, actually. It's got little more dragonish heads, it's got little horns and a more beak face, and the tail actually splits into two tails. Ooh. Yeah. They don't ever show any of the head regrowing. It's just a cool monster, and it's killed simply by a 
stabbed to the heart through the chest. Okay. So uh, well, Hercules should have thought of that. Right? <laughs> His was much bigger. Hercules had a really big Hydra. This okay. Hydra was right. more reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> Merely a rhino-sized Hydra. Oh, I see, I see. But in this one, they do add another ability to the Hydra, which is interesting, which is the, the king who, who the fleece was stolen from, the king of Colchis, finds the Hydra skeleton because it immediately, like, disintegrates to a skeleton oh, yeah. when it's Oxygen killed. destroyer style. Yep, exactly. Yep. And he harvests the teeth and later on in the movie sows those into the ground to summon skeletal warriors, the victims of the Hydra past. Wow. Called the children of the Hydra, uh, of the Hydra's teeth, and those go to fight Jason and his Argonauts. That's awesome. Oh, it's one of the best parts in the entire movie. Wow. I've seen the skeleton yeah. fight. Because it's it's a it's a famous mm-hmm. uh, uh, sort of animation. Yeah, it's one of the like most milestone. famous stop motion fights, and it's yep. fantastic. <laughs> uh, now I know that sewing sewing dragons teeth have there's similar myths having to do with that. This one has kind of combined that with the Hydra. Right, right, right. Uh, so you'll see lots of different versions of the Hydra, but the real story is that it was. A, a notable, unbeatable creature that only Hercules and his nephew were able to defeat. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. And what a cool creature. Just oh, So fantastic. very much like a lake serpent mm-hmm. with evil, terrible, uh, you know, monster god powers. Yes. And, and it's such a well-known creature that it actually has made its way into, you know, modern science because there are real hydras. The hydra... Nowadays, if you're looking up in a biology book, is not a snake. It's not a vertebrate, actually. These are a group, a, a type of animal in Cnidaria. So the same group as jellyfish and corals mm-hmm. and the like. These are the same kind of thing as a jellyfish, basically. But instead of floating around with tentacles hanging down, the tentacles are on top in a circle. And it kind of just looks like a little palm frond. It's got a little skinny body with a mouth at the top tentacles sticking out around from it and the body's anchored down to the soil right right and they're super tiny super super tiny usually they're about 10 millimeters yeah so you could see them with your eye yes but not in any real detail and they're gonna look very much like itty bitty anemones Mm -hmm. and once again that's another cnidarian so very similar uh but these are just usually very skinny in their body design uh these are the modern hydra like these were named after the the Greek monster, and they actually do have some parallels other than just having many arms with stingers on them to catch food, which is part of the reason for the name. But they also are crazy regenerators. Yeah. So, and this is true of most of Nidaria. Uh, but with the Hydras, first off, they can reproduce asexually by budding, which means just part of them splitting off to become another Hydra. So just boop. Uh, like the little worms at the beginning of Evolution, the movie. Yep. <laughs> uh, just budding off. These little buds become miniature adults that will then grow into a full-sized Hydra. But they also can regrow from damage. If you were to take a Hydra and cut it in half, each half would repair and regrow into a Hydra. Wow. You would re- One end would regrow the mouth. I'm not going to say head because they don't have those, but the mouth right, and right. tentacles. The other one would regrow <laughs> the foot, which is the bottom part that anchors them down. And you'd have two Hydra. This is actually one of the ways that some uh, breeders will um, multiply their anemones is by just going in and clipping them with the pair of scissors. Because okay. sometimes yeah, yeah. that can trigger the budding 
and they'll just fissure in half of the cut. They're practically plants. Right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that's one of the most common questions you get when you have people come up to an anemone habitat. <laughs> oh, yeah? And go, so these are plants. Nope. Nope. They're animals They're doing animals. their best impression. Oh, where's their brain? Nope. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so there are hydras-ish, kind of. Right, right, right. An animal called a hydra inspired by the and, myth. And they even have a little bit of their own mythological aspect. Because for a while, there was a very controversial debate as to the lifespan of hydras. Yeah. Because in some cases, they seem to be effectively immortal. And nowadays, more recent studies seem to suggest that, yeah, that actually does seem to be the case, that they don't experience aging, so senescence. They're what we would call, they go through non-senescence. They don't show any signs of aging, and their re- their regenerative abilities seem to just allow them to exist, as is, for, I guess, forever. Like Wolverine. Like Wolverine. <laughs> so it, there actually is a bit of you know unearthliness to them they are a weird animal interesting yeah so those are the the factual bits of the hydra as much as greek myth is factual Mm -hmm. uh the many versions of those stories these are this is the canon this is the canon for the hydra and what we have attributed to are the the modern real world animals that we've named hydras so now we can talk a little bit about how one would get a hydra but first as always magic disclaimer yes because this animal does have some magic going with it. This, yeah. you know, it's got a central immortal head. It's re, and when they regrow their necks, it's not like when I come back in two months. No, no, it's instantaneous. Yeah. And so those sort of things are really hard to actually achieve without magic. Yeah. Without you being a creature made by the queen of gods. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is outside the bounds of natural selection. So magic disclaimer. We can't always achieve everything of a monster, but we'll get as close as we can. Indeed. So how does one make a Hydra? How do we evolve a Hydra using the Natural Selection Toolkit? Yes. So uh, the, the, the obstacles I see that we have mm-hmm. is we need an animal that can have more than one head. Which is a big challenge. That's, that's a tall order. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. Uh, or at least a bunch of things head adjacent. Yeah. To use jerry holkins <laughs> vocabulary we want it like uh like um like hydrigon yeah where it's arms or it's heads yeah so something that you at a glance you would be like wow that's a bunch of faces right uh and it needs to be able to not if not instantly regrow those heads it needs to be able to regrow them i mean ideally it needs to be able to regrow its heads right 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 uh which is actually the more manageable <laughs> of yeah, the two but it's a bit so I, multiple-headed animals are not at all unheard of. No, it's called polycephaly. This is something, it's a mutation, right? It's yes. an accident. Every now and then, when animals are born, it's the it's the exact same thing that happens to uh, conjoined twins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with some animals, you can be jo- conjoined to the point where only your heads were left separate. And the body is just a body. So you have one body that at some point splits right, into right, two right. heads. And so, and, and it, it's not even always fatal. No, absolutely, absolutely I, not. The Miss, Mississippi Museum of Natural History I was at several years ago, and they had a two-headed snake just crawling around, mm-hmm. living its its little snaky life. Two-headed snakes are actually not common by any means, but fairly well known. Yeah, and they've been seen and kept in human care many, many times. Oh yeah. So 
a head with more than one, uh, a head with more than one snake. Yeah. <laughs> a snake with more than one head is not unreasonable. No. Now, it does lead, of course, to issues with upkeep, to mm-hmm. issues with are, are you able to energetically maintain both of those heads? Yeah. Can you get, like, you have to have a creature with multiple heads where all the parts are functional. So, like, four functioning eyes, two functioning yeah. throats. Can they both eat? Yeah. Is that a thing? Like, does the throat connect? Is that... And if it does, does that create weird move... Like, flow issues mm-hmm. with food going down there? Or air when you're breathing? And even without the the biological uh, hurdles that you have to worry about adding another head, brain, eyes, and all the stuff that it's included. Because there are many of the two-headed snakes were perfectly healthy. The, oh, yeah. The throat's connected. Some of them had... You know, the, where the split happens also depends on how many things you have two of. Some yes. of them are known to have had two hearts. Yes. Because it went that f- far enough down the body. And so, but even with these snakes that were perfectly healthy, physically fit, you run into behavioral is- issues. Because what you're looking at is not one snake with two heads. You're looking at two snakes with one body. Mm. Uh, and that's the issue that a lot of these <laughs> places that have taken care of these animals have noted. And why that it is suspected we don't see these as adults in the wild often. Usually when you find a two-headed snake, it's young and it yeah. grows old in human care uh, because there's two main issues that they note. One is that uh, self-preservation becomes an issue because if you have two heads and then something scares you, the likeliness that both of you decide to run the same direction is lowered. And yeah. if you both go in a slightly different direction, your quick dart away out of danger just became a stumbly, clumsy, slow movement. So now you're eaten. But also feeding becomes an issue. Yeah. Because uh, if you have snakes, they're pretty uh, uh, indiscriminate when it comes to what they will happily eat if they can swallow it. And th- there's a reason that you don't feed snakes that share a habitat together at the same time without making sure both are occupied Mm -hmm. because if one snake starts eating a mouse and the other snake starts eating the same mouse they can just start to swallow one another depending on who opens their mouth up more yep so you can have that issue but also there was one snake one of them uh there was a a baby two-headed copperhead that had an issue where the more dominant head had a less developed esophagus so ideally for the health of the snake the more uh, uh, subservient, I'll say, head should have been the one eating, but the other head actually had more control over the body. And so you get stuff like that. I've heard a story of a two-headed king snake that killed itself. Oh, yeah. Because king snakes eat snakes. Yep. <laughs> and it tried to eat the other head. But also, evidently, that can happen just if you, if one of them accidentally gets the food smell on its head. Oh, the yeah. other head can attack it, and they can't be antisocial like snakes usually are. So it's a two-headed animal that's not a pack animal. Now, I do kind of like the thought that our hydra, because in the mythos, the hydra is not a species. No. It's an individual. It's an individual. So it could be, if we want to play with our speculative evolution here, it could be that we are evolving a species and then creating a mutant of that yes, species. Absolutely. And that's our hydra. Mm-hmm. It's an animal that shouldn't be and is <laughs> yes. erratic and dangerous in part because of that. And we could use some form of multi-headedness like this because like some of the reports note, there are often more dominant heads where my my neck 
is actually the one that lines up with the body and yours is more off to the side. So we can wrestle over control, but more often than not, I decide which direction we go. Right, right, right. The Hydra did have a main head. Yeah. Uh, so there's no reason to say that our heads have to be equivalent. You know, the extra heads could be much smaller, less developed. You know, there's no reason it has to be a bunch of identical heads. I think that we can, so so multi-headedness is fine. Getting it to stick is actually not that hard. Nope. Getting it to survive for a very long time is a little trickier. function. But if we keep it at an enormous size, that can at least handle some of the issues of escaping from danger. Isn't really a problem if you're a very large animal, at least within your habitat. And there were uh, some of the reports that said the snake, the you know, multi-headed snakes, uh, bicephalic is what that's called, with mm-hmm. two heads, tend to have more trouble the closer together the heads are. Yeah. The less separation down the neck. So the more neck each head had, usually the better off the, the individual did. Interesting. Because they were able to kind of function more like two snakes that just had to go the same place in the same direction all the time. Cool. Uh, so if we have, and hydras are usually shown not with <laughs> with a snake neck and then a bunch of heads like a Gatling gun. Right, right, right. No, it's a it's whole bunch of necks. Lots of necks with heads at the end mm-hmm. of them. Now, the toxic gas thing yeah, is a little bit trickier because that feels less like a reptilian thing and more like an amphibian thing. Yeah, and I mean, we we could go milder routes and just have it musk or something. You know, just put out some sort of stink to right, right, ward right. things off. But if it's an amphibian, and it lives in a lake, mm-hmm. which is not a place you'd normally find snakes, as much as it pains me to move away from the discussion of snakes. I know. Something like a siren. Yes, true. Or a Sicilian. Yeah. Which are amphibious or amphibians mm-hmm. that live in, in aqueous environments. Amphibians are very commonly toxic. They yeah. secrete toxins. Yes. Now we could also make it venomous snakes if we want to bring in yeah. toxins. So there, there's there there's is multiple options. A t- a group of snakes that are both poisonous yep. and venomous. And if we give it some musk, it can be stinky as well. Yes, it necessarily can necessarily be deadly, but it will be. St- Dinky. Yeah. Well, and then you can imagine the cultural... Exactly. It smelled of death. Exactly. Like, even the, even smelling it means you'll die, because most people who smelled it were too close, and then it killed them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you could have it be a creature that is absorbing toxins from its food or from mm-hmm, the environment mm-hmm. and secreting them out. Yep. The big challenge, the big challenge is regeneration. Yeah, and... Most of the animals that you can think of that can achieve the kind of regeneration we'd be looking for with this are not vertebrates. No, and honestly, the more you describe the Hydra, the more I was thinking worms. Yeah, planarian worms are the always the go-to example for we can regenerate anything. And I like the worm notion mm-hmm. because also it seems not only are they good at regeneration... They're simpler yep. in their construction, yep. so I would imagine it's easier to maintain multiple heads on a creature that has lesser requirements for each of the heads. And there are cases of two-headed planarian flatworms. I believe it. Yes, so there's there's actually two cool versions. One is a simple uh, aspect. So basically, planarian flatworms are the the classic case of regeneration. They're not the only animals that can regenerate. Uh, salamanders and uh, newts 
are also very good at it. Some of them can regenerate whole limbs. Oh, yeah. If it's lost. Uh, I think there was even one that could regenerate a portion of the brain, but I don't remember what kind or how much. Uh, so, I mean, like, there are other animals, but these are the worms that if you if you take a single flatworm and not only cut it in half, but cut it into five sections, <laughs> you will have five flatworms yeah. given time. The head will regrow a tail. The tail will regrow a head, and each section will regrow a head and tail at the ends that were the head and tail direction. Yes. So they will all regenerate. This is not the case, by the way, with earthworms. No, that is a falsehood. Earthworms don't, at least, like, unless you got a really weird fluke of an earthworm. Generally, if you cut an earthworm in half, on a good day, the head will regrow a tail. Yeah. On a less good day, you just have a dead worm. Yeah. And there's lots of worms that can uh, close off. So, you know, so they won't, they can't uh, grow back what you cut off, but they can survive it by just going, all right, closing the, sh- the shutters there. Yep, and that's where my butt is now. And that's now my butt, I that's guess. That's where it is. Uh, now, the issue with flatworms is that they tend to be very small. They are very small. This is, we're talking one to half a centimeter. Yeah. And that's at most... 0.2 to 0.4 inches. <laughs> so very small, but they, like I said, there are a couple of situations where we have Hydra-esque flatworms. One example is if you cut them down the middle, the two halves will regrow the other half as well. It doesn't even have to be longwise. And if you just cut the head in half, each half will regrow another half, but stay on the same body. Interesting. So they can so double up the heads. Make a two-headed yeah. flatworm. And there was one case... Where it happened just randomly. They did a study a while back where they sent a whole bunch of already pre-cut flatworm sections up to the International Space Station. To see how the lack of gravity and and other variables being outside the atmosphere would affect these worms. They also um, put them in differing amounts of salt versus fresh water to okay. see how they handled it. Uh, they're typically freshwater animals, but they can adjust to other salinities i think there was originally about 15 fragments and one of them developed two heads while it was regrowing without being like specially cut in some way just a normal clip clip section of the body Mm -hmm. and it regrew two heads one on one end and one on the other oh no so now it was a push me pull you (laughs) planarian oops (laughs) and when they brought it back and recut it it regrew that way interesting so it was now permanently a two-headed a flatworm. So, if we're going on invertebrates, yep. we can pick some kind of worm. I don't yep. know if platyhelminths... Uh, well, those are flatworms. Platyhelminths yeah. are flatworms. But does that include, like, our bobbit worms? Not that, for... That's a different group that's of a different group. worms, I think. That's the polychaetes. That's it. That's uh, right. Those yeah, are the polychaetes. Those are the polychaetes. And I don't... I had not heard anything about them doing any stuff. Because, boy, that would be a fun... Oh, yeah. ...basis for the Hydra is a, a worm with snap... With, mm-hmm. with bear trap jaws. Oh, yeah. And whether or not it's precedented for polychaetes to do it, I still think that it's probably easier to achieve rapid regeneration of your head in some kind of worm yeah then certainly in snakes that's a big ask for snakes that's that's complicated the other thing i like about polychaetes the reason they come up is that they have hard parts yes that's very true right the jaws are a hard part i don't know that they have much hard parts elsewhere in the body yeah but i don't you know, it's not too much of a stretch to see them developing some sort of exoskeletal structures. Well, and I know some of them have, like, bristly 
bits down the segments that allow them to push themselves along. Uh, right, right. So they do have hard pieces, but they're not like body coverings yet. So if you had an expansion of that mm-hmm. into some sort of structure, some sort of exoskeletal structure yeah. that provides bodily support and allows you to get larger. And then, may, you know, it could be an environment where there's not a lot of predators, yeah. not a lot of dangers. Maybe the lake is particularly rich in certain nutrients, oxygen and, mm-hmm. and other nutrients mm-hmm. that are needed to grow very large. I don't know how large you could make a worm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the... I mean, like, so the bobbit worm itself, uh, if I remember right, the, the famous measurements they always cite are three meters. Yes, that's so uh, about ten feet, but that, which ain't small. That's not small, but they're also not, like, as big around as my forearm. They're still... Right, they're very thin. Fairly thin. So if we add exoskeletal mm-hmm. structures, perhaps we can get a thicker, larger version mm-hmm. of this creature. It could even still be rooted in the lake. Yeah. And uh, an idea just had about it. Because so one of the the disappointing facts for like the planarian worms uh, is, wh- and it's why bobbit worms or something like that is, would definitely be more favorable, is uh, planarians don't actually have a mouth. They have yeah. a hole in the middle of the body that is both entrance and exit. They bring food in, they digest it, and whenever they don't digest, they spit back out. Yep. So it's a just a a, a single opening. Uh, but a bobbit worm, a bobbit now worm that's is a predator, terrifying. Yeah. By itself. Uh, now there isn't. I had another idea for how we could get multi heads in some way. Sure. Where sure. maybe they're not actually multi multiple functional heads of the animal but if we go more of a budding route okay because like when the hydras bud the baby hydra its little clone stays on the body until it's gotten big enough to separate so it actually hangs on there for a little bit so you could have this organism that has this one big head and then various sizes of budding of budding babies that are showing up as heads around the adult because they're still feeding they still have to take care of themselves And then every now and then they're popping off. So it seems like no matter how many you chop off, more just keep coming back. Right, Because you're not actually hurting the adult animal. Yeah, I like that. Well, I was going to actually... So I was trying to think of a way you could get an appendage of some kind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you have a head and then you have like... Tentacles or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that have graspers. Because that's much easier. Like regrowing limbs is way easier it's that brain and those complicated eyes that yeah. really make it hard to justify regrowing that for anything other than a, a invert. So I was thinking something like a caterpillar where the six legs have developed into tentacle-like appendages. Yeah. But to make it budding baby, like it's part of the reproductive yeah. cycle, is that it's budding off several babies at a time. And if they stay on until they're relatively adult-sized... Mm-hmm. And we have made our worm very large yeah. and and hard on the outside with its exoskeleton. Hmm. Yeah. I do like... That also means it doesn't have to be an isolated creature. Yeah. It could be a species it that It could be a species. And, and then you have the whole central head is immortal, quote unquote, uh, because it's the one that always persists no matter how much damage... And, you know, worms in general, regeneration is still something they're good at even if it's not regrowing the body like right 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 they can usually bounce back a bit more than others because they're not dealing with complex tissues like us now we could take this creature if we if we use the basis of bobbit worm and boy 
for spooky. Oh yeah. What better worm? That's to use? pretty perfect. If we start with that, just making it thicker and more impressive, that's still a ten foot long worm creature. Oh yeah, that's that's still notable. Like even at its existing size, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. If you put an exoskeleton on it and stick it in a lake that's full of you know fish and. Maybe it's connected to the ocean, so it's getting yeah, a, exactly. a, a, an influx of nutrients and food. And if we make it, because you know, bobbit worms are, are stationary burrowers. They they dig a tunnel, they sit in it, and they uh, ambush prey that goes by. Right. Uh, if this one has a similar lifestyle, maybe it's not burrowing because it's no longer a single tube uh, since it, it has taken to budding babies up, off the front. Uh, but it could have a thicker portion because hydras are often shown with like a, a thicker body and then skinnier necks right they look like a lizard with no legs yeah exactly yeah and so you could have something like that where it's mostly stationary and it's just grabbing things from its lair yeah mm-hmm. Ooh, i do like that you could even if it's a big enough creature I, I i imagine a landscape that's dotted by freshwater habitats like minnesota you know yeah, someplace yeah, exactly. that's, that's famous for lots of lakes and if there are connections between them you could even develop a scenario where the budding babies leave the lake to yes, avoid exactly. competition. Mm-hmm. So each lake ends up with one main adult hydra. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and we could even potentially, because uh, if my memory serves, bristle worms are part of the polychaete group. That might be true. Uh, I believe so. But the whole thing with bristle worms is that... They are covered in those spiny bits to help them move around, but those spiny bits are stingers. Oh. Like, there are bristle worms, uh, I think there's one that's called a fireworm, but bristle worms, those bristles, if you were to pick them up, evidently are excruciatingly painful because of their stings. I like the sound of that. So if, if our bobbit worm has a similar defense, and which would make sense, for a big creature it doesn't make much sense, but these little... Uh, mini bobbits, the bo- bobbit hydras. Oh, it's an ontogenetic feature. Yeah, because it. part of the reason you'd also want to leave the lake if you're a baby is you'd be eaten by the adult hydra if you swim too close one day. Yes. Because they don't care, and you're itty-bitty. And while you're transmitting yourself over to the next lake, you need to be protected until yeah. you reach adult size. Because at that point, you're basically just a, a medium-ish snake. You haven't grown up to a huge body size yet. So how do we get this creature? So right now it's very water-based. It is very water-based. And it's difficult to picture a worm sort of rearing up Mm -mm. and aiming at things. Now, I don't actually know how bobbit worm, like, eyes are and how they sense their environment. Don't know. I know that polychaetes were mentioned when I was looking up all the stuff for our eye evolution. Right, right, right. Uh, but most of the time those were talking about the 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 filter feeding polychaetes. Because those are also polychaete worms. Right. That have sensing eyes to detect danger to be able to pull back into their tube. So it's possible within the group. But now, I don't know if the predatory ones have had them. That being said, as we learned in episode 68 about eyes, eyes are pretty easy to evolve. Yeah. Eh, what's the big deal? <laughs> but I also kind of like the notion that it lives in the lake, but what if it's hunting like a crocodilian? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it can grab stuff in the water, but it can also sit at the edge of the water. Mm-hmm. So I'm picturing, you know, the way that a bobbit worm works is it's buried in the sand, and a fish crawl swims by overhead, and it snaps up at mm-hmm. it. 
What if it's at the edge of the water? Oh, yeah. And things walk by and it reaches out and grabs Yeah, it. grappling hooks them. Uh, I like that. And that also means that, uh, you know, it could be an instance where only you, you would only notice that there's a hydra in your lake if it's particularly big enough to take, you know, terrestrial animals. Yeah. And not just little fish. So you could have hydras in like lots of the lakes, but for the most part, it's just something that eats fish. It stays down in the deeper parts where predators won't dive down and eat it. And it can just eat on stuff. But if a really big one that's no longer vulnerable to bird snatching it or something mm-hmm. can come up and grab pigeons off the coastline <laughs> and start getting big off of off of land meat, yeah. then you have a monster. You know, now it's a, a hydra that has gotten to an unreasonable, unmanageable size. I also like the idea that even if it did spend most of its time down at the bottom of the lake, when it's in its budding phase, when it's reproducing, number one, it can't bar- bury itself because yep. it's got all these extra heads, all these babies like that a, are growing off of like it. Like a mushroom uh, coming up above ground to yep. to make a, a fruiting body. Also, it would need more food. Yep. Because now you have to feed all your babies. And, and you're they... competing with your own heads. Yep. So it would make sense that during this phase, they're reaching up more towards the edge. And I could also see an easy argument for them being more aggressive then, because now you're protecting your more vulnerable. Yep. Be Not only because you're out of the, the, the burrow, but because you are constantly trying to get food. You're, you're temperamental. And you have to protect your babies. Yep. So I could absolutely see, like, don't go by the lake in late fall because that's when the hydra is budding. Mm-hmm. And it's just this big, like, we, we've been saying 10 feet, but given an exoskeleton, I make it bigger than that. Oh, I don't yeah. see why not. Absolutely. I say, you know, uh, that <laughs> in our speculative evolution. <laughs> so this big, spiny, I like the spines, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a toxic body. With multiple buds coming off of it, forming several smaller but still impressive, what effectively are other heads. Yeah. And you could easily get that cultural transmission of like, oh no, I severed five of its heads when I met it before it disappeared back into the depths. Mm -hmm. But we went back this year and they were all back. It was more. You said there were 20. I counted at least 30. (laughs) Yeah, it's... You could also have, because one of the other things that the Hydra often has is that it has, uh, its blood is also poisonous. Uh, right. I think the when the Hydra dies in the water at some point, it poisons a portion of the river. Like, oh. it has an after effect. And you could actually do something where if these things, because these things are semi-communal in the fact that they are they are functioning around each other for a short time. Right. Even if they're not cooperative, even if they're not social, uh, they're at least gregarious for the time that they're still on the same body, you could have something where there's there is a a a toxic aspect if their blood is spilled that could be both a deterrent for something trying to eat them, but also a warning sign for hydras to to for the baby hydras to steer clear because there's danger nearby. Yeah, yeah. So you could have a very chemical chemically aggressive blood. I don't know how often that happens with animals. Like, I don't think so. I could definitely see it releasing there's definitely i mean if they're toxic to begin with mm-hmm. and you kill it and you're you know your toxins are oozing out yeah all right yeah i got mm-hmm. maybe that works i know there are definitely the warning signal things with like many animals that have warning signals in the blood when it's released to warn others like there are lots of ants that do that mm-hmm. and lots of other eusocial insects that if you were to squish one right, right, right. they release chemicals 
that let the others know either, hey, come help because I got hurt. And that means there's danger here. Or run away because there's danger here. What I like about this version of our Hydra is that... So the the, the scene, right? The horror movie scene that I'm picturing mm-hmm. as we're describing it uh, involves a canoe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Right at the height of... So it's down at the bottom. Lots of fish in the water. Uh, all its little heads. And then there's this canoe on the surface. And just bobbit worm style. Up. Yep and snap yeah yeah (laughs) and you could have it and like the snake that you were talking about before you'd have the various heads competing yep to try and grab bits Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if we're doing this scene then the first moment of it has to be the ore getting pulled out of the person's yes (laughs) (laughs) into the water well and then it's you know uh, a head comes up And it's snapping at them and they're like, oh no, get this head away. And then another and another. And they're fending them off. And then the main head, the adult, pops up. Ooh, I like this. Yeah. So apparently one of our themes in this year's Spooky is creatures with multiple other creatures coming out of them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's, it's, uh, It's a very common theme in Greek mythology to to... Yeah. Give a creature too many of a thing (laughs) to make it monstrous. So, very large, thick, Mm -hmm. armored, right, exoskeletoned, polychaete worms. Yes. With predatory mouth parts, some sort of well-developed senses that during the mating season bud off babies Mm -hmm. that grow off the sides of them for a while. Not yet as big as the adult, but big enough that they have to leave and at least the baby heads can be covered in spines yes exactly absolutely for protection especially when they get bigger and they're preparing to to butt off Mm -hmm. and then people come across the lake and they're during that aggressive season yeah yeah i like this hydra yeah cool very nice. Yeah. The, the other nice thing about going uh, invertebrate versus vertebrate is you can have multiple heads pretty easily because your behavior simplifies down. Yes. Which is really the issue with the snakes is that it's the same issue that doing the like three-legged race and tying your leg to someone else. Right. The issue isn't that, you know, oh, we're so clumsy. It's my, we have two different brains controlling very complex motions and we're trying to control them the same way at the same time for the same reason if your worm is just several heads that are all functioning on seafood eat it see danger hide from it yeah that's yeah pretty fine that's very similar to how you know super organism super organisms like you social insects can function is not that every ant is a genius every ant knows it's part of the job yes which is very simple but them all doing simple bits create cool stuff those chemical cues you were mentioning could even be used to help the worm heads re- uh, I, I recognize each other. Ooh, yes, true. So they're not attacking one another. Yep, yep, yep. Ooh, I like... And you know what this... I, what I really like about it is that it means this: the hydras of legend in our spooky verse would just be a protective moms. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It'd just be a particularly well-developed mama worm. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty... Awesome. Uh, and it'd be so... For anyone who hasn't, who we've been talking about bobbit worms, and you're going, why are they freaking out about this? Please oh. go look up a video if you haven't seen it. Google it. Uh, we've already given you the descriptions about it. it's predatory and it hides, but 
I can't describe with words what the video can help Bef- you. Before I said bear trap jaws, yeah. that is not an exaggeration. No, no, that's what they are. That is both what they look like and how they function. It's <laughs> fantastic. It's awesome. Cool. Good stuff. I'm pleased with this Hydra. Yeah, this it's is disturbing. Oh, yeah, it is. I can't wait until one of us or somebody else draws it. Oh, I need to visual. I, I need visuals. Ooh, it's very, it's very Lovecraftian in my mind. It is. Yeah, it is just a multi-headed worm. Well, because also with no proper face, and it wouldn't be uniform. Like all the heads would be slightly different sizes. Yeah. The ones that have been eating better are going to get bigger faster, <laughs> and so you're going to have this just like menagerie. Of, of uh, it's like the versions of Venom in the comics where he's going through the madness and he has a whole bunch of faces on his shoulders. Yeah, it's just creepy. I love it. This one's funny to me a little bit because we we had we've now had two monsters that in their original form were snakes. I know, I know. I because they keep giving things to snakes that snakes can't do. Yep. That's as I was taking the notes <laughs> for this, I was like, yeah, no, giant snake. This will be a shoe in, and then I kept going with. <laughs> Oh, we're getting less and less vertebrate the longer I go. Yeah, you know what? Someday we'll just have to make our own snake monster. Yes, absolutely. For our spooky verse. And they're out there. We can we can find some snakes to talk about. We'll make it happen. <laughs> well, cool. There you go, everyone. A hydra. Three down. Three down, one left to go. One more monster from Greek mythology to wrap up October this year. So check in in a week next Saturday for that final episode, and we'll take a look at Probably one of the weirdest of the Greek monsters. It's a weird one. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) So see you then. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Common Descent Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and check our WordPress blog for pictures and links after each episode. Huge thanks to our patrons whose support helps keep this podcast running and who get access to bonus goodies on Patreon. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome, which we found at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.